When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite star of the documentary Delt, which follows his life as a famous card mechanic, which is different than card magician, and just the challenges he has faced in his life. I became familiar with Richard because he lives um, in the same city that I do, and he was my kid's counselor at camp teaching them card magic. And my kids loved him. And when I went to go pick my kids up, I didn't notice anything. He's a nice man. But then I sort of over time realized that Richard Turner is amazing and he also happens to be blind. And I did not know that. And it's he has a pretty incredible life story. And over the course of his life, he has changed his perspective on his um blindness and he considers it an ability he he talks about how he likes the way he sees and I just find him to be so encouraging and aspirational and all the all those positive qualities because he has so much energy and such a zest for life and my kids love him so he's an amazing role model and I hope you enjoy listening to his story Thank you, Richard, for taking the time to talk with me today. I know you're going to be, be pretty busy coming up here soon. Um, what Are you going to do a tour for your movie that came out for Delt? Uh, well, I well I just finished a tour. I actually circled in the globe. I think I told you. I oh, went that's to, right. Yeah, I had, uh, went to Atlanta, to Stuttgart, to Frankfurt, to Shanghai, to South Korea, to Tokyo, to here. So Ace and I literally circled the globe. I was filming a television special in the Porsche Arena in Stuttgart, and it was called Showdown of the World's Greatest Magicians, and they auditions, auditioned uh, three different in three different categories, the top magicians in those categories, and then they had a showdown between them, and I won. Nice. I'm not surprised. <laughs> which is always but, a good, which yeah. is a good thing. <laughs> well, so I don't want to give away everything about your movie, but I know from um, that it's one of the top documentaries on iTunes, and is it on Netflix as well, or just iTunes? It's on iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Prime, Comcast, Hulu, and then it has international release is taking place right now. So I know that your movie is at the top of the charts for documentaries. And I'm just wondering from your point of view, what do you think it is about the movie that is really striking people and that's really making it as popular as it is? 
I think because it shows real life people and one of the things when they were screening the film as they were putting the footage together, the producers and the director, you know, they would have all these professional filmmakers watch it and they were going, wow, we want to know more about this. We want to know about, more about his wife, his son, his sister. They wanted, because they were seeing a real family that actually loved, love each other and yet are experiencing the different challenges we all have as we go through life and how they're dealing with them. And they were capturing a lot of it in real time because they literally followed us around for five years from when it pre-production to post-production. And uh, over over three and a half, probably three and a half years with cameras chasing us around the world. So that was uh, that was part of it. And um, and so the point is they captured, I guess, intimate and real life moments. And it somehow uh, they were able to put it together in a way that told a story that is capturing people across the uh, across the country and around the world. And I'm pleased about it. I can't let me put it this way. I can't take credit for it. I, I was just the subject of the film. If they would have listened to me, I probably would have screwed everything up for them. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I, get, I do give you credit, though, because the starting point is you opening up your life to be watched. I mean, if, if you didn't allow for that, it wouldn't have happened. So you at least play a small part, I think. Well, well, that's true. I did open my, up my life, and I have no problem with sharing any part of my life with anybody at any time on anything. So in that regard, I am an open book and I have no problem sharing the good, bad, uh, different and indifferent. Well, that's what that's, I mean, we were talking before about the podcast and why I started it. And I think that's really why I started to do this because I think so many times people go through things, families, individuals, kind of behind closed doors. And I think the more we can open ourselves up to talk about these things, it can help other families who are going through whatever it is, whatever their thing is, feel not so isolated, feel not so alone in whatever their struggle is. Um, so I appreciate you being open. Yeah, I understand. And and, and it's nice that it is, like I said, having that effect on people. And it is, it's kind of like, I, I put it dealt kind of like it's a cross between a narrative, which means uh, a major, a regular motion picture, a reality show a david copperfield special <laughs> and, uh, and and a magic show so it's kind of a, a kind of a crossbreed of a lot of different things it's not just a straight documentary um it has the feel of a lot of things and it is partly like i said because they caught the real people in the real real time real action with real situations no, I totally agree. And it's interesting because I wanted to watch the movie mainly because my kids loved it so much. And I just kind of wanted to see what it was that they love so much about it. And they love you. Um, I will mention that Mr. Turner has been teaching my kids card tricks and magic and card mechanics, I guess I should say, um, no, for in probably their case, three years. Ma- yeah, in their case, it's card magic. Card magic. Okay. Card mechanic stuff is way beyond. Way beyond. Okay. Uh, It's impressive. I mean, they told me, hold on, mom, I have a trick to show you. And I was kind of thinking, okay, let's see what this is. And it was amazing. I mean, they're really good at it. So you're a good teacher. Well, I have fun with the kids. I was asked about 15, 16 years ago uh, by a guy who was uh, the person that started the center. or He reinvigorated the San Antonio Academy, if you would, a guy named Don Harrell. 
okay. if I teach a class there um, during the summer. And I said, well, if, I, if my son can be with me, I thought this would be a perfect father-son thing to do together. And my son was seven at that time, and now he's headed towards 23. So it's something we just do a couple weeks out of the year. And, and uh, I, uh, I really gained a, a, an appreciation for uh, kids, and, and I have a lot of fun with them. And they look at me as totally crazy, which they love. They love you. They really do. <laughs> um, but so I guess I, I saw this movie and I didn't know if it was going to be about card magic. And I didn't know if it was going to be about your visual impairment. Or, But what I found in watching it is that it's really kind of a love story within a family, sort of what you just described. I mean, it was just beautiful to see how just how much love there is within your family. And um, I think that really comes through in the movie. And that was one of the things that uh, people, when they were screening it, saw because they saw in their own life they didn't have that. And it made them see, well, there, it is possible and there is someone that does have it and it, for some reason, touched their hearts. And that's how the film literally took uh, a big right turn in its direction because they had a, a three-quarters of the film already cut and edited, and then I totally canned it because of the feedback from uh, the different uh, characters in the film, and so that changed the direction into what you just described. Yeah, I loved it, and I remember at one point your wife was just talking about, I love her candidness in that it's not, I, I'm sorry, I forget her name. What is your wife's name? Kim, K-I-M. Kim, Kim, Kim. yes, Kim how she was talking about how it wasn't always easy. And I think that's one of the things that people don't always talk about is that there, there are highs and lows in marriage, in parenting, in family life in general. And I love how candid you guys were about that and that you, you, you have your lows, but you figure out a way to get through it. Yep. And, that. That, yeah, and you have to. Otherwise, you know, things become miserable. So what, what impact would you say that your wife's support had on you throughout your journey, both in your professional yeah. life and in your personal life? Well, she's my ace. My son is my ace of spades. That's right. his real name. And my, my wife is my queen. I might be a better analogy. Uh, we're just, uh, we support each other. She came from the mountains of Montana and, and you know, where the men were strange in a lot of ways. And she thought, well, I would, this guy's kind of, He's, he has energy, he's focused and self-motivated. And so we, and I saw the same thing in her. And then, and uh, so we hit it off and uh, she has just been my, uh, gosh, I, I hate to use the word so makes it so stereotypical. Um, but, but she, we, we, let's put it another way, bounce off each other, bouncing uh, things. In other words, questions we have very few times we have uh we've never had yell out or fights or cursing each other or anything like that the whole 28 years we've been together um instead you know she her degree is in speech communication english literature and then she has her master's but that's in a different area so she knows about how to communicate and i took and i took counseling classes years ago on uh communication skills interpersonal communication skills so we we have a good communication basis base and that uh that does help so if i'm irritated for with her for some reason or whatever we're able to talk it through and we like the bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath so we try 
to not, if something's bothering us, to not have it, not to go to bed with it, to have it resolved before you go to bed. And otherwise, it just sits there and stews on you and eats on you. And, uh, and, and she also uh, keeps me level-headed, you know, because I have had a lot of success, um, you know, for just a guy who plays with cards. You know, I've been all over the world. I've been seen in over 214 countries, the last analytics stated. Um, and I've been uh, seen by around over 1 billion people, according to uh, the people on uh, – so, uh, so my point is I've had a lot of success and I've got to do a lot of things. I've been the entertainment for the rich, famous, and infamous from around the world. Uh, you know, when I look back and I think about the people that I've entertained, like Johnny Carson, Gene Kelly, Gregory Peck, Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope. Um, uh, Houdini? Spunk. No, no way. I, I heard, in, wasn't there an inter- interview that you did and you, you pulled one over on Houdini or something like that? No, Houdini died in 1926. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm getting the wrong person. What no, is, who is, no, who am I thinking close. of? You're close. Who is you're it? You're thinking of my, my teacher, Di Vernon. Oh, okay. Was known as, he was known as the man who fooled Houdini. Oh, okay, okay. In, I totally got my story 1920s. messed up. That's that's yeah. aging me, my, my mix up there, but that's okay. Well, yeah, just, <laughs> I'm, I'm way ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but Di Vernon was born in 1894. He lived to be almost over 98 years old. And he was the man who I worked with for 17 years. And for uh, over a half a century, he was the best in the world with a deck of cards. And he took a liking to me. And, and that was one of the places I was fortunate and blessed is to, to know and have got his knowledge and information and, and the years he spent tracking down card hustlers from around the world and learning their techniques. And, and then I got to be the heir of that information that he uh, acquired over his uh, decades of uh, seeking these guys out. And so that's where the Houdini connection comes in. But uh, and then uh, and then I've entertained contemporaries. Like I was in a movie, had a very teeny part uh, uh, with Brad Pitt. I cheated Brad Pitt in the Oscar-nominated film, uh, Tree of Life, Terrence Malick film. And um, I, you know, as well as the mob, I have a lot of mob stories. Offers you know, often hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to play cards and illicit games around the world, which I've turned down on you. And um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so, so uh, my point is that uh, you know I uh, you know I, I I get a lot of attention, and my wife helps keep of me, and you know uh, it gives me a level head. She uh, she always says he still has to take out the trash. And I think that yeah. helps most people who are successful to have someone who just kind of helps keep their feet on the ground. And that's and that's my wife. She keeps she's very even keeled. And, uh, and, and of course, you cannot out-debate her or out-talk her or out-manipulate her or anything. She's just too darn smart for it. Well, then you picked but, a good one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> darn it. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm <laughs> impressed. Um, and then yeah. also, so I've met your son, Asa, and um, he has played a big part in your life, in yours and his. You guys sort of were the dynamic duo for a while there, right? He was he was right there with you on a lot of these tours and sort of your right-hand man for quite some time. He still is. He, he still like is? Said, we just, we, yeah, yeah, he was with me when I just circled the world over the past three weeks. Um, yeah, when we went to do that that television special in Stuttgart and uh, to perform it in uh, Korea. He was with me during that whole time. And we uh, 
did a, last year we toured through Japan and Germany, like I said, Germany, uh, uh, and we did a 32 city tour through China the year before. And that was totally amazing. It was brought in, you know, sponsored by the government of China. And so we were treated like royalty everywhere we went in the most beautiful theaters in the world. Their theaters are just amazing. The backstage areas are as big as a U.S. football field. Oh, wow. So do, what, what does Asa think about all of this spotlight? Is he drawn to the spotlight as well, or does he just kind of like no, to he, be he there enjoy, to watch he, Yeah, he He's my he's my stage manager, and so he makes sure all, everything when he's talking to the producers and the director, he makes sure every, the cameras or everything set up in the proper way so that to get capture the best angles and he just takes care of all the logistics behind the scenes and he's been doing it since he was a kid, and he's my he's my best friend next to my wife, after my wife and uh, and we just enjoy each other's company a lot. And uh, like I said, he uh, he he talks to the, the different clients and and uh, makes sure everything runs smooth and clean. And he and he he enjoys the food. Well, <laughs> he I... is a yeah. We said he said I said they said they want us to come to Korea. You want to go to South Korea? Yes, Dad. The food there is great. And the year before I said, Asa, they've invited us to we're the number one choice as far as act to come to Japan, and they'll give us the entire year to pick from. Uh, do you want to go? He says, yes, I've always wanted to go to Japan because Tim and I had already been there, so I didn't really want to go. And he goes, oh, why do you taste the food there? And so he, how he knows about all this food is beyond me, but he is a food connoisseur. And he, well, when we were in Korea two weeks ago, he said, Dad, today we're going here and we're going to have this. And he, he doesn't even let me pick out my own stuff. He just tells me what I'm going to have. Well, he sounds like he's the right person to pick. He, he oh, almost needs his fun. own show. Could be like card, yeah, card mechanic food show. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I am so impressed by you about is just your energy level and your determination. Have you always been this way, or is this something that's just kind of grown over time? Oh uh, no! I when I was a kid, they called me Gilligan from Gilligan's Island, and other other people called me a perpetual motion machine. Because I never slow down, I never stop, and I'm 64 now. And Asa and I just finished a workout in the gym, and at 64, I can still do a two to three thousand rep workout, and uh, and kick the high knee of a 30 year old athlete as far as uh, working out. Um, no more fighting for me because I'm too old and it hurts too much. And uh, you know, for years I I was in the martial arts and I hold a six degree black belt as you probably know yes. uh, but uh, but uh, but at that time I had some forward vision we probably should tell your listeners a little bit about the vision my vision started going south when I was nine and then during my teens and 20 it was measured at 20 over 400 which is twice as low as what's considered legally blind and then eventually it all disappeared so at that time I had no forward vision so just imagine wherever you look there's a hat in front of your face then you look out of the corner of your eye, and that's 20 over 400. And those are the conditions that I fought under. But now uh, that hole, that hat that used to be in front of my face where the macula dissolved has encompassed the entire retina. So now there's there's no vision uh, anywhere. So fighting is a really stupid option. Right. <laughs> well, and that's what's so amazing to me. That was another thing I loved about the movie and just about your story in general. But just how 
it, it sounds like with each step of your life, you just figured out, okay, well, what's next? What do I need to do next? If this isn't an option anymore, then what do I do? And it just sounds like, I think that's probably also a reason why people are so drawn to your story, you know, because so many people can say, oh, like, poor me, I can't fight anymore, or I can't do this anymore. But it sounds like, and I don't know, I'm, maybe you did have moments like that, but it just sounds like in general, you kind of looked at life with like, okay, well, then what are my options? Would that be a fair assessment or is that off base? That's a, no, that's a very fair assessment. And in fact, I, uh, this sounds a little arrogant. I say, I'm not going down. Right. I, I don't care how I'm 64 and I'm still, I'm not going down. I'm still, uh, well, I'm going to maintain my strength and whatever. It's not the strength I had, obviously at 44 or 34. Um, but I, I, whatever, uh, as the body starts wearing down on you, I still maintain my disciplines. And then I like to do things to challenge my brain and my, like you said, the energy. I have to focus it somewhere. And, of course, I still don't. I, I still maintain my discipline with the cards. And to give everybody an explanation, when you said card mechanic, card magician, to define that, a card mechanic is somebody who can control the outcome of a card game. In other words, I can make people win or lose at the card table. And to do that is something that a magician cannot do because the techniques to perform card magic are much simpler and they would not apply themselves to the card table. The techniques for the card table, there's a half a dozen top card mechanics out there. There are thousands of very good card magicians. To do the card magic is very easy from my step, from me, from, from me. But to the other way, the, the flip side is not the case. A magician cannot take their techniques and be able to do anything at a card uh, table to control the outcome of a card game. So let's just put that out there so they know what, what our, we're talking about when you say card mechanic. They may have thought you thought said card mechanic for all we know. Card mechanic, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my dad was a mistaken. my dad was a stockbroker, and once one of my friend's little brothers thought I said snack bar worker, and he was like, uh, "How do I get to be a snack bar worker? I want to be that." Uh, yeah. So, uh, thank uh, you for the clarification. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, I I like to challenge myself with new things. Like I was uh, never a writer, and this is one of the things that uh, my sister, who also lost her vision at the about the same time I did. Uh, when she was a little girl, she was five, I was eight, I was nine, and she was five. And uh, so she got into the technology a lot sooner and a lot quicker than I did the the adaptive technology with the talking computers and so on. She kept telling me, you got to get a talking computer. And I said, no, it'll, it'll, if I hands on the computer screen, I can't practice with my cards. And so I was resistant and rebellious and stubborn and everything else. And then finally, uh, I, uh, I, she got me to get my first computer and I, about 20 years ago, 1998. And, and, of course, now the technology is continually expanding to where it's just unbelievable. In fact, I am challenging myself today. I've been a PC user, Windows, and the JAWS program uh, for 20 years. And my sister and... My son keeps saying, you need to go to Apple and get a Mac and you know, the MacBook Pro. And so it's a whole different uh, system as far as how uh, the keys and everything works in the, in the talking program. Anyway, so I literally was working on that right before we uh, started our conversation here. So, again, that's another challenge. And I think that's important 
to give yourself challenges outside of your realm of comfort, your comfort zone. Um, me, my comfort zone are two things, cards and training. And uh, that, that I've, you know, reached the levels that I've reached levels I was satisfied with, put it that way. Yes, yes. And, uh, what, so but, are you practicing uh, with your cards right now? Uh, did you hear that? Yes, I thought I heard something in the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, <laughs> well, and don't, uh, you practice most of the day, is that correct? That is true. Yes. I practiced, I started practicing with the cards about 57 years ago. And for, there was a period of time when I practiced 10 to 20 hours every day, Monday through Sunday, seven days a week for 26 years straight. And then when I, uh, my son Asa was born when I was 41, that slowed me down a little bit because there were times when, you know, Kim would have the breast milk and I would have to feed him and he would slobber all over my cards and, you know, he would slobber off the bottom of my deck. So I, that, that, that slowed things down a little bit there. Then when I got my talking computer three years later, once again, you can't type in practice. So I had to uh, reduce again. And so now I put in between three to 10 hours a day with nice. the cards, but I still haven't missed working out in 40, let's see, where 40, 47 years. 47 years, seven months, and what day of the week? Or, oh, seven months, and three, <laughs> three weeks. I that's, can actually get it right down to the day that's for That's amazing. You. Well, that's very inspiring slash makes me feel really lazy. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, my, my wife always says, no one wants to hear your problems because like when I got my first degree black belt, I had to fight 10 men in a row, 10 three-minute rounds. And it was covered by ABC in the front page of the Los Angeles Times sports section. And I weighed in at 168. When I got my sixth degree black belt, almost 30 years later, I weighed in at 168 and six ounces. Wow. So almost 30 years difference, I, my weight difference was six ounces. And my father-in-law, Kim's father, said, well, if you would have went pee first, you would have broke even. <laughs> <laughs> always room for improvement, right? There's always somebody in the crowd to give you feedback. Yeah, yeah. a simple solution there. So does it ever drive anybody in your family crazy that you're always practicing with cards, or is that just that something they love about you at this point? It's just, it's like uh, wallpaper. Okay. It's just there. They, 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 it never occurs to them. They never think about it. Um, but, but what drives them crazy is the fact that I'll say, Okay, let's head to the gym. Right. Or, you know, and uh, the the disciplines that that doesn't drive Kim as much so much crazy um, as it you know. They said he goes oh, okay, you know, which means he's whatever project he's doing. Yes, yeah, so, you know, put it down for a hour and a half or two hours, depending on what we what kind of workout we do. But Kim, she's um, always ready, ready, willing, and able, and able to jump right in and work out. We were she's my best workout partner and my best student I've ever had in the martial arts. And I've had many over the 40, 47 years. That's great. Well, I also love what you talk about with practice that you're, you're the top card mechanic in the world, probably, or one of the top, I don't know. Um, but yeah. you continue to practice and that it's not something you just woke up one day and could do. And I think that's 
also a helpful message for people, you know, that people can sometimes think, oh, well, that's not something I'm good at, or that's not, even with your computer, learning this new system today, you know, you're not good Mm -hmm. at it today, but you're probably going, you're going to get better at it day after day after day. And I think sometimes people just want things to be quick, you know, and want to to learn things right away. They want to, it's like microwave, they want it done now. If they can't push, I call it push button magic. If they can't push the button and have the effect take place, they don't want to put in the time it takes to do the hard stuff. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. One of the moments that I loved in um, your movie was a little snippet from camp, from the um, card magic camp. Oh, the academy. Yes, Uh at the academy with the little girl who was visually impaired. And the back in Michaela. And she's probably, what, is she an adult now? Yes, in fact, I I, I was, uh, we uh, went over to their home within uh, earlier this year and had dinner with the family and she's a, a now going to be a junior in high school where at the camp she was a uh, sixth or seventh grader when they filmed her part in the film right and I kind of loved the back and forth between the two of you because she's clearly learning from you but you seem to all also be learning from her you know just kind of she was pushing you a little bit well, she was uh, – actually, she was more revealing to me where I was stupid. Okay. Well, that's a little <laughs> no, more direct than I was trying to be, but okay. We'll, we'll do yeah, that. See, yeah. I don't – I could call myself stupid okay. all day long. Yeah, and, I won't do that. And I don't mind and, – and, and I'll save you the trouble. Yes. So you don't have to – But it's uh, cool. Uh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's nice that we can learn from younger people too, that it's not like here yeah. you are, you know, the the person that knows everything. You You seem to be open to learning from other people as well, which I thought that was a really nice moment. Yeah, let me uh, we'll tell the audience a little bit about what was uh, what the discussion was about. We were talking about reading Braille, and uh, she asked me, I asked her if she reads Braille, and she says, yes, she does. And I was actually, to be perfectly honest, I was shocked. I said, oh, really? You actually learned, took the time to learn Braille? Where she asked if I read Braille, and I said no. And uh, it was, this was 1964, 65, no, 66 is when I the uh, visually impaired school for the visually impaired and uh, my uh, VH uh, instructor a guy named Ed Bryan who ran the VH room visually that time that time it stood for visually handicapped which is no longer politically correct as visually impaired and um, he would say you got to learn Braille and I said well look at the Braille encyclopedia it takes up the entire wall in this room I said the Braille Bible when you stack the piece together it stands about two and a half feet high I said, I'll need, I'll need a wheelbarrow to carry around, carry around one book. I said, this is impractical. I'm not going to do it. And so I refused to learn Braille. And that's what I, that was the, God, that was the interaction that I had with Michaela. She was saying, uh, I was telling her that, you know, about carrying around a book in a wheelbarrow. And she said, yeah, it can be a little overwhelming at times. But she still, she said, but it was still, is, uh, it was still worth learning for her. And so that's where she was telling me how I was not so smart because I was pig-headed and stubborn at the time and said, forget it. Yeah. And it was so, cute because she wasn't being judgmental. She was just saying, huh, well, you might want to consider it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was very sweet. Uh, one yeah. of the things, too, that I noticed in your story is that the movie talks a little bit about the difference between your process of coping with your visual impairment and your sisters management and I'm just wondering do you think that that has to do with just your personalities or do you think it's a a gender 
based thing or what what do you, what do you think and we should mention your sister is kind of a badass i mean she's amazing too i mean whatever whatever you guys are both doing you she runs a very successful construction company and i was just so impressed by her yes my sister lori she not only said she run it she founded it founded it, it. Was one of the yeah founds and runs the large, well, the, at the time, it was the largest construction company in the state of Idaho. They poured more concrete than any any other construction company in the state, and uh, and she had everything calculated down to the last sentence. She did projects that were in the millions, tens of millions, fifty million dollar projects, and uh, so she is a, a, a I call I call her my genius sister. She is. But You're she, both geniuses. Do you have any other siblings? It's just the two of you. Uh, yes. Uh, my brother is a manipulative, uh, mechanical uh, genius. My other brother is a, uh, he was one of the top, uh, he was a chef. He, had the, he was actually uh, interned under Donald Trump, and he was Tom Cruise's chef for oh, a wow. number of years. And, and then he uh, had the number one restaurant in all of Costa Rica and uh, for a number of years. And now he moved back to uh, uh, Telluride, California. Well, there's something but, uh, very special in your genetic compound, apparently. Yeah. Well, my dad, my dad was a very gifted man. I, you know, I always, growing up, he was able to do anything and everything, and whatever he did, he did it to perfection, and he had endless amount of energy. And I always, I always thought, man, I wish I, had, I was like that. I never thought for a second that I had his talent at that when I was a, like. Eight, nine, ten, eleven. Watching him do whatever it was, what it was he was doing at that particular time that that impacted my my thoughts and emotions. And then somehow it turned out that I did have uh, some of his natural drive and uh, and being able to work off the right and left half of the brain, which he was very good at. Yeah, no, it's definitely impressive. And um, well, I guess back to your sister. I didn't mean to, but I just right. I'm impressed by all of you. But what do you think? The difference there was and just the way you sort of managed the sort of plot twist of life, you know? Yeah, and I think part of it, your, your observation of gender is a wise one. You know, women are a little bit more emotional. She was a little bit more emotional where I was a little bit more cut and dry, practical. Okay, we don't have this, so forget about it. Uh, move on, where she was more... You know, it affected her more in emotional stance, where I was more practical, I guess. And so she, we, how we approached our loss of sight was different. And and she, for years, I would tell her, ah, don't talk about, it. just forget it. Don't don't mention the name, the fact that you're you're blind or whatever. Just you know. And, and finally, uh, she had a kind of a, uh, a tough time in her life because her husband got in a bad truck accident about five years ago it was recently and that and, and so she, that forced her you know she was trying to run everything all by herself and uh and so then she checked herself into a school for the visually impaired and you know and she learned to use a cane and a dog where i still i i don't use a dog and I, I i say i tell people when i turn 80 then I'm going to get a dog. But for me, it's just not practical. There are people that have what are called sighted guides. And at that time, Lori didn't really realize that there were people that were unsighted that used sighted guides, and that was perfectly acceptable. 
and um, and the people that are prominent in the business area of our uh, in the visually visually impaired and blind. And so um, uh, so anyway, so at first in the film, it looks like it sounds like you know, some of the things she's saying is really her reflections on how it affected her, and she kind of figured that it affected me in the same way where uh, it didn't affect me in quite the same way as it, it did her. So I, uh, I would, like I said, uh, just say, forget it. I'm going to fight my way through. My karate instructor, John Murphy, who was one of the found, he's one of the ones that laid the foundation in my life that I can overcome anything. I was 16 years old when I started the martial arts back in 1971. And he would say, don't tell them. You know, all you see is a big blurry blob. Just stare them down like you can see them and bulldoze right through mm-hmm. them. Overcome weakness with strength. So he's the one that embedded in my spirit that no matter how tough the situation is, that I can fight my way through. So that was, he was really one of my key mentors, if you would, that, lay, like I said, laid the foundation for me to approach things in the way that I did. And as I, we already bro- spoke on, I already had the energy level to put in, you know, so many hours a day, do uh, endless amounts of push-ups and sit-ups and everything that it took in that regard to the point where I, he pushed me to the point of being able to do 500 push-ups in 12 minutes, nine seconds. I topped out at 340 on the bench press, weighing in at, you know, 168 pounds, twice my weight. I could curl more than my body weight. Very few body lifters can curl more than their weight. And, and I could do the splits across two chairs and touch my head to the floor. So oh my, my point is, whatever, whatever I saw some other martial artist do, I had to beat it. Whatever I heard some other card guy do, I had to beat it. I heard about a guy that could do a one-hand fake shuffle. It was a guy who had one arm, and uh, Rene Levant. And, uh, and I thought, well, if he can do it, I'm going to do it. But, and so I figured a way that was a way that he had to cheat in his way. He had to use the table to finish his uh, false shuffle. Where I, did the, I do the whole thing in one hand as I'm sitting here doing it as we talk. And, uh, and I, and, but I, didn't know, I had no idea how he did his. Yes. And so I, I just figured out, okay, if that, he, he can do it, that means I can do it. And that was another thing that, and that really came from my men, other mentor, Di Vernon, who uh, saw that I was like him, obsessed with cards and practice, and that I would put in 10, 15, average 14 hours a day practice was an average day, and um, and that he he would give me challenges. Hey, you know, here, Richard, this is the way it should be done, and then he would tell me, oh, you know, your fingers would be on the side. He would just kind of move a technique a method of doing something, and I believed he could do it. I believed this is the way it was done because that's the way people have been doing it. And then I would spend thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of hours practicing, creating uh, the different moves, techniques, controls, only to years later find out that he lied to me, that he, he didn't deceive me. He just pushed me beyond his capability. Oh, wow. He, thought they were impossible, and he had spent some of the moves 50 years trying to develop and was not successful, where I believed it was possible because he would tell, he told it to me, and because he was showing me what I need to do, I assumed he could do it. So I believed what he thought was impossible was possible, so I took possible out of impossible. That's amazing. He must have seen in you that you could do it. 
because otherwise yes. he probably oh, wouldn't have done that. Oh, he wouldn't have spent the time with me right. because he was, the, he was the most famous uh, magician in the world uh, in, that, in the close-up magician. He's considered called the father of close-up magic. And so he's known everywhere, and everybody just wanted to even say hi to him, let alone have 17 years intimately uh, uh, under his tutelage. Yes. Well, so I have a question for you. I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking you have this determination, this focus, this drive, and I'm wondering if it ever is exhausting. <laughs> like, do you ever feel no. like, no, it's just, this is just how you're made? It, it's just it's just how I made. Yeah. Uh, other than I, I do, my wife and I, we do, uh, since Asa went off to college, he, and, uh, and now he graduated from Trinity, and now he's back here and now uh, looking for a position in computer science. Um, but uh, we would uh, sit down and we would... Uh, watch something in uh, some movie, which I love because that's uninterrupted practice time where my hands aren't, in, aren't anywhere near the diagram keyboard on the computer. Um, so we go, we go to bed early. We go to bed at like 9, 9.30, but we get up at 4.30 to 5.30 um, every morning, even on the weekends. Yeah. If, well, if we sleep in until 6, that's late. I think you're making a lot of people rethink their energy levels. <laughs> what, so one of the things also in the in the movie is that it sort of um, follows you through a change in your openness to talk about yourself and your ups and downs. Has it been yeah. freeing for you to be able to talk about that? Yes, I was. Uh... If you would have mentioned to somebody 30 years ago that I was visually impaired, you would have received the uh, bad end of my wrath. Yes. I would have put you in your place, um, put it simply. And I turned down things like the, when the top shows on television at the time was That's Incredible, starring John Davidson, Fran Targeton, I think it was Kathy Lee Crosby. Yes, I remember watching and, it. Yeah, and in 1980, they came to me and they said, we want to do a feature on you and I, they said we want you to also walk with the, the white cane I said no way I said I won't no, I won't do that they said oh, but it'd be so it'll be so inspiring to others I said I will not wear I will not walk with a, a blind man's cane that's a tell right. and uh, you know it's a giveaway and so I turned them down and they came to me about six months later they said how about if we just interview your eye doctor and and, and I said and and show you working on your what that time was called a CCTV, mm -hmm. which was the way of a camera that zoomed down on a book and projected the letters onto a TV screen, and I said okay I'll accept that, and uh, and and even at that time, what uh, I was showing, I was not able to see, but I did I didn't want anyone to know, and I even told my eye doctor at that time I said now don't you make it appear that I can see worse than I can. I want to see exactly what you're going to show them. And he goes, you can't do that because you're going to be looking at me giving somebody an image of what 2400 looks like at 2400. So that's going to be like 2800. You won't be able to get a true depiction because you can't see what I'm, what I'm showing them. And uh, anyway, so I kind of gave him a little uh, grueling uh, uh, ahead of time. So that, that gets to your point that I was uh, def defensive. I don't think it's quite the word, but, it probably is the word. And or maybe just not ready. Seen, it just seems like you weren't well, ready to be open at that no, point. I, no, you know? it, was, it, was, it, was, it was another reason. 
I didn't want anyone to, I, I wanted to be able to take on whatever challenge on their level, and I didn't want them thinking, oh, this guy can't see, I better go easy on him. Mm-hmm. I had been in fights, and of course, the first fights that I've been in, starting in 71, 72, those years, I got my butt kicked. Women were kicking my butt. Old women were kicking my butt <laughs> because I, you know, I I was a, a wimpy, 110 pound, you know, legally blind, scrawny little worm, and uh, and and so it just kept pushing me to do more sit-ups, more leg lifts, more more protein drinks, and and uh, and so then when I got to where uh, I was, uh, I was now brown belt, black belt. I didn't want people going, oh, oh, this guy can't see. I better take it easy on him because if you did, you were the one that ended up getting hurt. And there were people that got hurt because of that. Um, in fact, Murphy, my instructor Murphy even makes the point in the film. He said we told him to go easy on him. Then he started hitting people, and he liked it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, so I get to try to finish off that. Um, I, yes, I was stubborn and um, – at that time, being able, I was, uh, I, I called myself a, disa- a, a functional disabled person, or, a, or a, uh, where once I lost the rest of my sight, then I became a depend, a little more dependent disabled person, because before I could walk alongside somebody and I, yeah, you know, the corner of my eye, I knew where they were and I'd be able to, you know, walk along with my wife or whoever, and and or I'm in, I'm in the ring. I just look out the corner of my eye. I knew where the blur, the blur was, and that's the, where I well, where I would attack. Where once I lost that ability, then I was dependent on either touching somebody or somebody touching me. And for the first year, I flat out de- de- refused to accept it. And that's where Kim would come in. Yo, know, she she and Asa, they all knew it. And of course, he was she knew it more than him because he was a really young at that time. And but she she would see it because she had watched me run into walls, trees, car doors, constantly splitting my head wide open, gushing blood, and uh, it just became a, a running joke. And then I finally realized you know, that oh, even if I no matter where I put my hand in front of my face, whatever, there's nothing left. And and she's the one that said, let people want to help you. You right. don't have to hide it. Let people help you. Yes. There's nothing wrong with accepting the fact you need a little help now and then. And, and she said, get over yourself. <laughs> Tough love is sometimes the best, right? Uh, yep. And, and that's why I said she's my uh, counterbalance. And, but what's beautiful and, uh, about that, too, though, is that so you're opening up yourself to be helped by others. But then by being more open, you are helping other people. Because when you yeah, just keep and- the story to yourself, no one gets to learn from you. Right, and and uh, and like I said, if they would have wanted to do this film, well, they did want, want to say it. in nineteen ninety, in nineteen eighty-eight and eighty-nine were the first two times I was approached by about having a. At that time, it was called an NBC Friday Night Movie. It was a movie made for television, something like that. And I, I turned them down because I didn't want the visual aspect as part of the story. So, um, and so. Uh, if the, my point is, if I would have been asked 30 years ago, I would have said, forget it, but, or 40 years, well, 30 years, even 30 years ago. And um, so, uh, but now I'm happy to share. I'm happy to admit that I block with my head, so I got to protect my hands. And I, and, and I have so many funny blind jokes, uh, stories to tell that you know, if I can make people laugh, 
let me share. Let me share with some with your audience. Okay, let's do it. Okay, okay. Chip and I were in our normal recliners, like I was just describing, and the phone rings. I get up to answer the phone. I dash to answer the phone. I ran square into the corner of the wall, split my head wide open. I'm gushing blood. She looked up from her book, and she said, now that one had to hurt. When you get off the phone, don't forget to wipe up the blood. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I love it. I have, a, I have a friend here in town named uh, Dr. Richard Drake. You probably have seen his commercials, Drake Sleep Solutions. I did three commercials for him, and uh, they do a little magic in the commercials. But uh, we were on the – he was my golfing buddy and my fishing buddy. And so we're on the golfing – we're on the driving range – and he goes to his, his father was with us. So his father wasn't feeling well, so he we went to the restroom. And he hears over the loudspeaker, hey, you in the blue shirt, what the heck are you driving those balls over here at the pro shop for? I didn't realize each time I put a ball down, I made a slight adjustment to the left. Instead of driving the ball straight down the driving range at 12 o'clock, I was about turned 9 o'clock, driving them right at the pro shop, banging them <laughs> off the walls and windows. <laughs> And he comes over and he hears that over the ass. The fourth time he goes, what is going on? And he comes out and sees me driving those balls at the pro shop. And he goes, uh, have you heard the guy over the speaker say, hey, you in a blue shirt? And I go, I'm not wearing a blue shirt, am I? He goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> oh, I love it. But, but here's the funniest one. <laughs> the motorcycle. When I, I came up with a great idea for the blind and deaf driver. I bought a motorcycle and I had a friend named Roy Otterman. He was deaf. I would drive, and he would sit on the back and tell me where to go. He was an auto mechanic, and we were working on a uh, car, a Volkswagen that I had, and we were driving down Lemon Road Boulevard, and he'd say right, left, red light, green light, and it worked really well. And then one day, we were pulled over for suspected armed robbery. A Winchell's Donut shop had been robbed, and we fit the profile to a T, except for two minor details. The getaway driver wasn't blind, and his accomplice wasn't deaf. Once we proved to the cop that we couldn't see the lights flashing and hear the siren blasting, I received a ticket for driving while blind, and he let us drive away. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. And that was the last time I drove a motorcycle. Uh, was it worth it? Uh, well, Problem. I should be able to tell the story. Yes. It is, but <laughs> I, would, I won't even let my son get on the back of a motorcycle with anybody, let alone uh, <laughs> me. Um, one of the things that... I'm curious about is, I know they talk about this with all different senses, but have your other senses become much stronger? I mean, clearly your hands and your sense of touch is what yes. makes you who you are. Have your other yeah. senses become stronger as well? Yeah. In fact, it depends on how much time you still have. Uh, yeah, of course, my sense of touch is greatly enhanced. And that's, you know, the fingertips, there are more nerve endings in your fingertips than on any other part of the flesh. And um, so I do have a very good touch. In fact, because of that touch, I'm the touch analyst for United States Plant Card Company. They're the biggest card manufacturer in the country. Most every label you buy, bicycle, the most recognized pack of cards, be their top model. Uh, Hoyle, Steamboat, uh, uh, Kim cards. Anyway, I help them make better cards, and I have for a couple of, de couple of decades because I can touch their cards and tell them elements about it that even their measuring devices aren't as accurate. That's so cool. that, that is one. Very and then cool. the other one is I have a very, my condition is called Charles Bonnet syndrome, my visual condition. And it's extremely rare. Up in, and Dr. Oliver Sacks, he's a best-selling author. 
He has written a number of books on the subject, one called Hallucinations, the other one called Seeing with the Mind's Eye. And Charles Bonnet documented this condition back in 1760, I believe it was. And it's a condition where a person who should see nothing, blackness, sees colors, patterns, shapes, images. And I'm by far the most extreme case on the planet. Most people that have it will only see sporadic uh, 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 colors and shapes. Where I see a 360-degree kaleidoscope of vivid blues, reds, yellows, greens, and every subconscious image you could imagine floating in front of me. I don't, and I don't see it in the back of the brain like when you're dreaming or imagining. I can look at this uh, kaleidoscope of images in front of me in, in the external space in the same way you look at what's in front of you. Mm -hmm. the, the kind of the way that, to describe it is like if you're in a swimming pool underwater with the light shining in with all the different blues and, uh, and just think of everything you can imagine floating around in the pool. Everything, the shapes are all two-dimensional, but they're layered in three-dimensional. Uh, they're layered three-dimensionally. And so the thing about it is I can zoom in on any particular image and like my beautiful wife, I can zoom her in and, and zoom, spin her around and look at her from the other side or, or look at a, a card move that I'm working around in the same fashion. Or I've designed houses and patio decks and, and actually designed and, and built things. And I would sit there in my chair and I came up and tell you, I'd watch as in three dimensions as I watch, okay, I need uh, four by uh, 12s there with a cross beam and I'll spin around in my chair and I'll have to anchor them over there and I'll design something uh, you know, sitting in a chair that would require a thousand different cuts and then put the whole thing together without a single piece of paper uh, or play games um, uh, in the same way. I'll sit there and see the, the game in my head, one of the games I played with, you, with your son, Connor, and uh, uh, Griffin, uh, Texas Showdown. You know, I, will, I, I'm able, I play the whole thing in my head or a game better game that I get batty, which starts at a very simple level three, which can be resolved in six to seven moves, up to, and I've actually played a level 15, and every time you add one card, it doubles the number of moves. So two, three, four is twice as hard as three, five is four times as hard, and it it's exponentially gets more difficult. So from, from three, uh, six to seven moves, up to between 16,000 to 32,000 moves, depending on the shuffle in a particular sequence, and that's without a mistake. And, of course, on that level, the combinations are in the trillions times trillions. Um, and I can play, I, I've played it in my head. They'll, they'll be moving the cards while I'm playing it using my, um, I'll just use the word CBS, which is the acronym for Charles Bonnet Syndrome. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's another area where, yeah, and it's kind of, I, 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 that's why I consider my gift or my loss of sight uh, a blessing and a gift. Yes. Because I live in a very unusual world. It's amazing. And I will tell you, I teared up towards the end of the movie when it. The, I think it's one of the last lines, if not the last line, that says, I like the way I see. And yeah, that's, that's what the I, last line of the film. Yes. It's just so beautiful because it is. It's, it's, you have this whole perspective and it's not based on what you don't have. It's based on what you do have. And I just think that sure. that is what is inspiring to so many people. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and, and, and once again, I don't even remember saying that when, the, when the, the filmmakers were doing it. You know, they get the credit for putting the story together in the way they do. And, 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 I, and I like the way I see it. I, I, I consider myself extremely blessed 
not having a challenge, a disability and it becoming a challenge, even though that obviously is the case and it does have application, uh, hence running into things and bashing my head open. And so I do like uh, being able to share it and I do speak a lot, you know, um, uh, I, uh, I call myself an inspirational speaker rather than a motivational speaker. I think the people that need to be motivated really don't have it. Those most, most companies already have people that are, are high end where I'm put it another way. Like back in 1976, there was a little 14 year old girl named Anadia Komanichi and she did something no man or anyone else ever had done in the history of the Olympics. She got a perfect 10. Now that inspired me, but I didn't need it as motivation to continue putting in my average of 14 hours a day practicing with the baseboards, with the cards. So, no, um, I so I, 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 yeah, and I said, so I like spe- speaking. I was a keynote speaker at Facebook last month and, uh, you know, and I've done, I've been to uh, performed and spoke to more fortune 500 companies than I haven't. I, I couldn't even name them all. Well, my, like I said, my kids love you. And so it's funny because I told them I was going to be talking to you. And so of course I have all these questions about your family and the way you've, but they just have a lot of questions about your favorite card tricks. And uh, uh, how about my favorite card demonstration? Favorite card demonstration. Yes. What, uh, I did this on Ted and Teller when I performed live with them. I, I was on their TV series called Fool Us. And I fooled them faster than anybody in the history of their show. You can watch it, just Richard, just Google Richard Turner, Penn okay. and Teller, and you can watch the piece. All right. But, um, I'll add uh, a link uh, but, for our but, show but, notes so people can watch it. Yeah. And then um, and my website is richardturner52.com, and then there's you can just Google. That's the only Google card Richard trick Turner, I know a, is 52 yeah, pickup. You'll, you'll, That's my card trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll see a, you'll see a thousand, uh, or not a thousand, you'll see many, many, things on the on the internet just google uh richard turner um but anyway um but what i did when i performed with them live was i would take uh have someone take a deck card shuffle them up they can choose the card game they want to play say seven card set they can choose how many players they want in, in the game say they want five they can tell me which player they want to have win say they want player three to win and sometimes they can even t- if i really push the envelope they tell me what you want me to deal in that hand, a straight, a flush, a full house, whatever kind. And then I'll start dealing the hand, and I'll even let them take the card out of my hand every time I go around, reshuffle them, and take keep cards out and just hand me any random part of the deck back. And every time I go around, and then you'll slowly watch in the third hand, and if I get handed game, you'll watch, you know, uh, say, a queen, a queen, a ten, a jack, and then in the hole will be two more queens, so they had four queens, or, or another queen, an ace high spade, an ace of spades, high spade in the hole, split in the pot. Anyway, so whatever it happens to be, uh, every time it's different. But I'll put the, the best hand in the place they selected when they shuffled, cut, and did everything they could to, to mess it up as I dealt around the table. That's one of my favorite things. Okay, and, and I, I I'll make sure to add a link that. for that because I think the, that people will be excited to see it. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, yeah, and the Penn and Teller where I shuffle the cards back in numerical order and then um and then when i did my thing where they washed the cards it's called cutting a slug is the gambler's term for it but they they washed them there they smeared the cards all over the table and then i i asked teller uh, uh, teller shuffles the cards and then pan i asked him how many players he says six i deal out six hands and i deal te- uh, on the board the board the face-up cards are two kings and then teller's hand are the other two kings so he had 
what would have been the best hand uh, possible in this case, which were four kings. So and they shuffled them and they chose the number of players and everything. And so that's one of my favorite things as well. You can watch that one on Pen and Toad as well. Fantastic. I will definitely share that. So my last question for you, and this is something I ask everybody, and we've sort of touched on it, but one of the things I talk about with the family brain is, you know, keeping the family system as a whole healthy. But I'm curious what kind of things you do or if there's something specific that you do for your own self-care to make sure your own brain stays healthy. Well, I believe that we're not here by accident. I believe that we're here by by design. I believe that I'm not a, 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 a big hunk of whatever that exploded and pieces flew across the universe, turned into a planet, turned into a rock, turned into a dolphin, turned into a monkey, turned into me. Uh, I don't have that kind of faith. I believe like the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty didn't just create itself. There was an engineer behind the Statue of Liberty. So I, I believe that there is a God and that uh, he has us here for a purpose and uh, – and that's uh, what, how and how my family and I, we uh, how what we believe and how we uh, uh, keep our focus, direction, and um, and I guess everything else under control, and, and gives us our gives us peace um, that passes all understanding. That's awesome. Well, I thank you so much for all that you shared today. I feel like I learned so much from you in so many different categories. And I also thank you for being such a great role model to my kids because they really admire you and look up to you. So thank you for that. Oh, that's my pleasure. And ask you if I ever made them laugh. I'm guessing all the time. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, it was absolutely my, my pleasure, Megan. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.